Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that the fit campers have been able to spend a whole weekend reflecting on your word. We pray that your word would keep working in their hearts and that it would work in our hearts now. We pray that Paul's words would be like a strike to the head as we read in Psalm 141 before. A challenge and a rebuke, but one that pushes us to be more like the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. What was your great desire when you were growing up? What did you hope to achieve with your life? What was that goal that you would strive for every day as you were growing up? Was it well-intentioned or was it more mischievous? Was it to eat as many lollies and chocolates as you possibly could? Some of you, that's your desire now. Was it to complete the set of Transformers toys or Barbies or whatever it was that you liked to play with? Was it to hang out with as many friends as possible or play as much sport as you could? What was your great desire growing up? Here are some of my great desires from throughout my childhood. To be a teenage mutant ninja turtle with my plastic samurai sword. To tease my little brother and annoy him. To master video games and then later on music. To stay out late with my mates being reckless. And to eat custard, the king of all desserts. (laughs) Those were some of my great desires from my childhood. What were yours? Now the reason I asked that question... It's because in this passage and in this whole letter of 2 Corinthians that we've been looking at for many weeks, we see Paul's great desire, don't we? The thing that he wants more than anything else, not him as a child, but him as an apostle, as the one sent by Jesus himself to proclaim his name to the world. And so today, this is our last passage in 2 Corinthians And we've seen Paul's great desire. But let's have a think about that for a moment because 2 Corinthians is a big book. Let's think about the story so far and how we might summarize what Paul has said so far. Or, you know, if you were to boil down Paul's great desire in this letter, what do you think that it would be? Well, as I said, it's not not an easy question because it's a really big letter. But here's what I think Paul has said so far What is Paul's great desire? His great desire is simply that the Corinthians remain faithful to Jesus. So have a look at chapter 11, verse 1 with me. I have it on the slide here. He says, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. And think back to last week's passage, chapter 12, verse 19. Paul says, everything I've said and done is for you and is for building you up in the faith. Paul's great desire is that the Corinthians will be built up in their faith and be presented pure and blameless to Jesus on that last day. He wants them to be built up so that they remain faithful to the end. And there's kind of two ways that Paul wants them to be built up and to be faithful. First of all, he wants them to be built up in their conviction. He wants them to hold on to the truth of the gospel. Remember, he wants them to understand he's their authentic apostle. 
Not these super apostles who's come preaching a false message. He wants them to be convicted that true gospel ministry is about service. Is about declaring the truth boldly and with integrity. I heard some of you reflecting on that as John asked us that question before. He wants them to understand Jesus' power is shown and displayed in his people's weakness. These are the things that Paul wants the Corinthians to be convicted about. But Paul also wants them to be built up and faithful to Jesus in their character. He wants them to live in line with that truth that they're convicted of. He wants them to repent of sin and rebuke each other when needed and flee. Flee from sexual morality or flee from the idol worship that happened in their city. He wanted them to listen to him, not the super apostles. He wanted them to weigh ministry according to the gospel, not according to the world's ideas. That is the character Paul wanted them to have. And so Paul has spent this whole book trying to build up the Corinthians in their Christian character and in their Christian conviction. And so that's why he's been saying things like, do not receive God's grace in vain. Be convicted. Do not be mismatched with with unbelievers. And why he said things like, you put up with fools who preach another Jesus, a fake one. So instead, remember my gospel, the true one. He's been talking to them about their conviction and about their character. Why would Paul do this? Well, because this is what brings God glory. Paul wants God, more than anything, to be glorified and thanked and praised because of the Corinthians. Have a read again of chapter 4, verse 15. I've put it on the screen for you. He says, Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that grace, extended through more and more people, may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. It's cause and effect, isn't it? Paul wants God to be thanked and praised and glorified because of the godly conviction and character of the Corinthians. That is his great desire in this letter. And because that is his great desire, he finishes with these words that we just read. So we're going to get into them. Come along with me and look at verse 1. Paul tells us about his third visit and gives a final warning. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So as we saw in last week's passage with Matt speaking to us, uh, Paul is coming to Corinth again. He's coming down from Macedonia and into Greece and to see them. And it's the third time he's dropping in. And in case you didn't know or you've forgotten, here's Paul's timeline with the Corinthians. Remember, he had this deeply invested relationship, even though it was a strained one. Now, the first time he came to Corinth, there was no church. And so Paul went out preaching the gospel and he planted the Corinthian church. People became became Christians and he stayed with them for a year and a half to build them up. And then off off he went to preach the gospel elsewhere. And in the meantime, he wrote two letters. 1 Corinthians is one of them that we have in our Bibles. But then tragedy struck. 
During Paul's second visit, what he calls his painful visit, there was sin and there was division in the church and there was an attack on Paul. And he had to leave with things unresolved. And as he continued on his journey, he wrote to the Corinthians two more times. He wrote a severe letter of rebuke. And then he wrote this letter to Corinthians. And so now Paul says, I am coming to you a third time. So how do you think this visit will go? What will Paul say and do this time? Well, come with me. Have a look at verse 2. Paul gives his final warning of the letter. I gave a warning when I was present the second time, and now I give a warning while I am absent to those who sinned before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. Paul says, this is my final warning. If you don't sort yourselves out, if you don't repent of your sin, if you don't stop listening to the super apostles and instead listen to me, then I will need to be stern with you. If you don't sort out your conviction and your character now, I will not be lenient when I come. I will show you proof that Christ is speaking in me. That's his way of saying, I'm going to be strong. Jesus works powerfully among you. He saved you. He sustained your faith. Now he's going to work powerfully in you when I come and rebuke and discipline you. I will discipline you as a father disciplines his child. But how will Paul do that? What does he mean by this severity or by this, uh, this strength that he will come with? Well, he will do what he has encouraged them to do in the past. He will rebuke again those who are sinning. He will call the whole church together. He will call on witnesses to the sin. And then he will check the facts. And if there has been sin, perhaps sexual sin and perhaps idolatry, pagan temple worship, that's what was happening in Corinth in the day. He will find out if that is happening and then he will again call for repentance. And if those people refuse to repent, then Paul will remove them from the church, from God's people. He will refuse fellowship with them. He will discipline them so that they might see how serious their sin really is. It's full on, isn't it? That's what he's encouraged them to do in the past and what he's done. But remember, he does this in the hope that they would repent and turn back to Jesus and then be welcomed back into the fellowship. And remember, this is what Jesus himself said that we should do if there is unrepentant sin in his church. Paul is just following Jesus' words in Matthew 18. Remember last week, Paul said, I fear. I fear that things will go badly when I get there. I fear that I will have to rebuke you again for sinfulness. I fear that I will have to be severe and it will be another painful visit. But he doesn't want it to be that way, does he? And that's why he has to give this final warning. So look at verse 10 with me. He explains himself. 
This is why I'm writing these things while absent. That when I'm there, I will not use severity. In keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. As his apostle, Paul wants to build the Corinthians up. He doesn't want to tear them down. He doesn't want to use severity. His desire is that they sort out their conviction and their character now, before he gets there. So how does he want them to do that? Well, he goes on and tells us. We see it in the next thing that he says. He wants them to sit a test. Have a look at verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. How many of you had a great desire to sit exams at school? None of you. Good. I was going to say, if you did, I pray for you. (laughs) When I was at school, I was never really stressed about exams. I didn't enjoy them, but I was never really stressed about them. And this combination of lack of stress and lack of enjoyment occasionally led to me just not turning up to them. Because I didn't want to. I decided to do something else that I wanted to do. Don't follow my example at that point. Anyone who's got exams, sit your exams. But nobody likes them, right? Nobody likes tests and exams. But here, Paul is saying, test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Some of you are thinking, hang on, do I need to remember this later on? Is there a test on this later tonight? No. What does Paul mean? What is he trying to say about testing? Paul wants them to take a long and a hard look at themselves. He wants them to test themselves when it comes to the Christian faith. Because Jesus dwells in his people, in the church, and Jesus wants his house to be in order. Now, notice that Paul doesn't say, test yourselves to see if you have faith. He doesn't say, check whether you believe or whether you don't believe. No, he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. So that means that Paul thinks there is such a thing as the faith. And that you are either in the faith or you are out of the faith. Which means that you can claim to believe in Jesus, but not be in the faith. You can be part of a church for a long time, decades even, but then be at the end, you fail the test. You are not in the faith, and Jesus Christ is not really in you. So what does that mean? What is Paul saying by in the faith? Well, first of all, it has to mean that we believe Christian convictions, right? To believe the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And to put your trust in him. That's conviction. And so to be in the faith is to hold on to the gospel. The good news of Jesus. That we are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. That we are saved by the blood of Jesus. And by his resurrection. But stop and remember for a moment the super apostles. They believed in Jesus. They taught about Jesus. But Paul says they believe and teach about another Jesus, a fake one, 
not the real Jesus. They teach a false gospel that doesn't save anyone. They are not in the faith. Jesus Christ is not in them, even though they say they are Christians. So to be in the faith is to believe the truth of God's word as he's given it to us in the Bible. Not to believe whatever you want about God and say, I have faith. And not to believe lies about him, but to believe the truth of who God is. That is Christian conviction. What if you don't know what the faith is? If you're here and you don't know what the faith, the Christian faith is, then I'm so glad you're here. Because that is what we are here to explore and reflect on and put our trust in again every week. And so my encouragement to you is to keep being here and to read the Bible. Read the Bible with a Christian friend or come to one of our Christianity Explained courses that are starting in just a few weeks' time. Find out what the faith is so that you can be convicted of it and be saved. But maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a while. And maybe you stray from time to time. You stray from the clear teaching of God's word. Maybe your experiences or your questioning have led you away from a firm trust in God's word in the Bible. If that is you, you need to repent. You need to turn back to the truth of God's word in the Bible, back to the faith. Come back and see God's word in all its beauty and all its clarity and all its unity as it shows us who Jesus is and what he's done and what he will do when he returns. I want you to be in the faith. I want Jesus Christ to be in you. So to be in the faith is about conviction. But, as if it couldn't get heavier, it's not just about conviction. It's also about character. Remember Paul saying to the Corinthians, I want you to repent before I get there. I want you to flee from your sexual sin, your involvement in idolatry. So in the meantime, test your character. See if it lines up with how God wants you to live. See and test if it matches Jesus' character. Because if it doesn't, then perhaps you are not in the faith. Perhaps you fail the test and your faith is not genuine. And Jesus is not in you. So to be in the faith, it means to be convicted of the truth of the gospel, yes, but also to live it out, growing in faithful, godly character. Paul is showing us it is a dangerous place to leave sin unchecked, to be unrepentant, to remain unrepentant in whatever sin, sexual immorality, idolatry, whatever it is, is a dangerous place. But Paul's great desire for the Corinthians is what? That they be in the faith. That they hold to the convictions of the gospel and that they live out the character of the gospel. Paul doesn't want them to give up. Paul wants them to be in the faith. So what about you? As you've been sitting there reflecting, would you say that you are in the faith? The Christian faith? 
Are you convicted of the one true gospel? Are you growing in your character and conviction before Jesus? Paul shows us here that from time to time we need to test ourselves. The Christian life, yes, it's one of firm trust in God's promises. Firm trust in his sovereign power over all things. But it's also one of humility, of self-examination, of regular confession and repentance. Healthy self-doubt, if you want to put it that way. So yes, we always need to remember, God has predestined those who will love him, who will be saved. And yes, God has given us the Holy Spirit to keep us persevering, trusting in Christ. But this is not meant to make us lazy. But instead, as we trust in God, we need to test ourselves, examine ourselves and see, are we standing firm in the faith, in our conviction and in our character? So let's ask ourselves questions like this. Do my beliefs match what God says in his word? That's my character. Do my actions reflect the life of Jesus? Am I growing more like him? That's character. And if the answer is no, then do something about it. Don't just sit there waiting for something to magically change. Because it won't. Don't sit there letting your heart get harder and harder until one day you give up on Jesus. Grill your faith. Put it through the fire. And ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to do that for you. To ask the hard questions and keep you accountable. Those are the times when God grows us most. Through the rebuke and challenge. Through the accountability of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because remember Paul's great desire. His desire that the Corinthians have godly conviction and character. And therefore glorify God. Don't you want that? To glorify God with your life, your conviction and your character. And you can see that Paul continues throughout the rest of the passage. We're just going to dip into a few parts of it. Paul continues to express this great desire again and again. Have a look at verse 7 with me. Read it along. Now we pray to God that you do nothing wrong. That's character. Not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you may do what is right. Character. And verse 9, in fact, we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong in conviction and character. We also pray that you become fully mature. That has to be about conviction and character, doesn't it? So you can see his great desire, can't you? His desire that that they do right and they be strong in the faith. And you see it again and again, even in Paul's final encouragements, just those last few verses Verse 11 to 13. Have a look there. He says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Become mature. Conviction and character. Be encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace. And the God, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul wants them to grow in maturity and unity together. And then verse 13, he finishes with these beautiful words. Let them sink in. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. 
Paul wants grace, love, and fellowship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be with them. Why? Because if Jesus' grace is with them, and if God's love is amongst them, and if God's Spirit is walking with them in fellowship, then they will have godly conviction and character, won't they? They will keep trusting in Christ, holding firm to the gospel and living in light of it all the days of their lives. Their conviction will be the gospel and their character will come from the gospel. So again, what is Paul's great desire for the Corinthians? That they will be built up in conviction and character and therefore glorify God. And I don't know about you, but at the end of 2 Corinthians, I wonder, did Paul get what he desired? Were his desires fulfilled when he arrived in Corinth? Were they faithful in conviction and character? Well, let's find out. Because in Acts chapter 20, Paul gets to Corinth. Have a look with me. It says this. It's up on the screen. And when he, Paul, had passed through those areas of Macedonia and exhorted them, the Christians, at length, he came to Greece, where Corinth is, and stayed three months. When he was about to set sail for Syria, a plot was devised against him by the Jews, so a decision was made to go back through Macedonia. How did it go? We don't know. That's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? All it says is that he stayed in Greece for three months. How much of that time was with the Corinthians? Was it a positive time or a negative time? We have no idea. We'll have to ask Paul when Jesus returns, won't we? I hope you look forward to that. But regardless of how it went, regardless of how the Corinthians responded, we can respond. And so I want us to reflect for a moment to finish off this great letter. I want us to reflect on Paul. His great desire for the Corinthians, that they be built up in their conviction and character. And the question I want us to reflect on is this. What is your great desire? What is your great desire in life? What is your great desire and does it match Paul's? What is the desire that drives you, that you strive for, that consumes your thoughts, that you spend time and money and energy on? Is it to get your degree so that you get to the work that you want to or get the promotion that you desire? Is it to buy a house? Is it to earn money and be secure? Is it to have enjoyable holidays or to travel? Is it to find a spouse and have a family with two or three healthy, well-adjusted children who become successful? Is it to be healthy or to get better from your illness? Is it to be comfortable and remove the suffering from your life. Because if your great desire is any of those things, it is misplaced desire. Hear me out. Those things are not bad things. In fact, many of them are great things. But hasn't this letter of 2 Corinthians shown us that more than anything, our great desire should be conviction and character that glorifies God. 
shouldn't it be faithfulness to the truth of the gospel and a life of faithfulness lived out of God's grace? Hasn't Paul shown us that above all our desire should be to glorify God? All those things that I just listed, they should pale in comparison to that great desire. But sadly, those things, they fill my mind far often than they should. Is it the same for you? Remember, what does Paul say? I want you, more than anything else, to be built up in your Christian conviction and character. Do we want that for ourselves and for others? And what does Jesus say? He says all kinds of things about character and conviction. He says, follow me and leave everything. He says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, hear the good news, repent and believe. Radical conviction and radical character. That's what Jesus wants for us, isn't it? And so that's what Paul wants for the Corinthians. So let's make it our aim, our great desire to be the same as Paul. To have the same conviction and character as our Lord Jesus. Let's pursue those things that grow us in our conviction and character. Let's pursue those things first. Let's pray that God would change our desires and fix our minds on Jesus so that our great desire would be growing in conviction and character and glorifying him. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you again for the life of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his letter of 2 Corinthians and all that you've shown us in it. Most of all, we thank you for Paul's great desire that the Christians in Corinth will be built up in their conviction and character. Thank you that he was willing to spend and to be spent for this goal. God, please fill us with the same desire for ourselves and for others. Please grow us in our conviction and character before you. And may we bring glory to you. And may all the world see that you are worthy of praise. Amen.